and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Now, live from Chicago, the Hal Sparks radio program mega worldwide. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. Hal Sparks, actor, comedian, and multimedia personality. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Hal Sparks. All right, let's do this. Well, welcome to the show, everybody. Thank you very much for being with us today. Uh, Johnny Million, how are you doing this fine morning? I'm doing great. You to be, good to see you. You seem, you seem to be equipped with something. Uh, I am. Is that, is that a guitar in your lap, or are you just happy to see me? No. Um, you were uh, – just show everybody in the chat. Yeah. He, he finally got it. It's uh, It was going to be, you know – The the Ace Frehley, uh circa rock soldier uh, sock, uh, rock soldiers uh, um, Fraley's comet guitar has arrived in Johnny Million's hands and he will be making magic with it on his live stream. Yep. It's Don't Johnny Million on uh, Twitch, Twitch and YouTube. Oh, well, I'm sorry, I missed out on it. I, please send me a, a video of the. Uh, I will. I'll send you the clip. The, yeah. So real quick. Um, as we get into the story, I don't know if you know this, but um, I um, I'm in Texas right now because everybody's in Texas. Trump is in Texas. Biden's in Texas. Uh, millions of people are in Texas that are not supposed to be in Texas, apparently. And um, I got to say, there is one of the most peculiar stories that it that happened in Texas, and I think it was like just the beginning of the week, maybe ten days ago, a little under. Um, that's really kind of gone by under the radar. And I wanted to bring it to everybody's attention because I find it to, uh, to quote our Chicago brethren, hinky. I find the entire thing to be quite hinky. Um, by the way, oh, Philip, I want to real quick thank Hal and Hal Vickery, Berkeley and Bobby and super chats that are coming in. Oh, bless you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. and Lisa Mia Moore gifted a bunch of memberships right away. Oh, you guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, we're we're a little behind because I have not I've been I've been doing extra long shows and and odd timings on my show lately. So I'm very behind on on like memberships and super chats and subscriptions because I always forget to talk about that stuff, you know, sure. as a as a professional streamer. Uh, it's the, it's the area where I'm a, still a complete amateur and I, uh, I apologize, but, um, thank you guys so much. You're really helping us out. That said, okay. Um, I, there've been a few areas where I, and I think a lot of other people are sort of surprisingly shocked at Trump's racism on occasion. Um, <laughs> I, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be right. But I'm like, it is really surprising. Yeah, sometimes you're like, "Wow, all right, sure, that's that." Yeah, that's, say that out loud. Yeah, that's the way you're going to go with it. Um, sure. Now, there's there's the stupid form of his racism, which is the stuff where he talks about how many languages are coming across the border, and we don't even nobody even speaks these languages, which obviously 
if no one speaks a language, then it's just noise coming out of your mouth. It's not really even you aren't speaking a language because a language. I don't know if this is is it my shock people has to involve at least two people. At least two people <laughs> for it to be a language as opposed to just mouth noise. Yeah, I right? feel like maybe I should um, invent a language and say that it's a lost tongue of like pre-indigenous to. people, the aliens, you know. Sure. Well, that's uh, I think oftentimes that isn't that what uh, what Trump does when he screws up, you know, when he when he messes up. That's some like backpedal. Yeah, it, like uh, that's really they want you to pronounce it Burmesia, Burmesia, and then you know, you know blame other people, right? Okay. One of the areas, though, um, where he, you know, I, I like when he says uh, "peekaboo James," when he is obviously using a derivation of a racial epithet that he is trying to, that also ends in "boo," that he's trying to like wink and a nod, sneak by everybody. That grosses me out. That's one of the few areas where I'm like, it, it goes beyond just dumb or gross or cute to like genuinely horrifying, right? Oh, yeah. I don't get offended. I get horrified. Yeah. <laughs> right. For the record. So um, the other area is how he is treated. Elaine Chow, oddly enough. What? Yeah. You know, his, his former transportation secretary um, <laughs> who was is married to Mitch McConnell. Right. And and he has these weird kind of uh, anti-China um, ways of attacking her, you know, um, over like calling her Coco Chow and other stuff. It's like very weird. I don't know if it's meant, you know, a, a, an, a relation to like cocaine Mitch and all that stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. So, um, by the way, big news of course, was that Mitch McConnell is, uh, stepping down, uh, this November as minority leader, if, whether he's leaving office or not, I don't know, but he's definitely stepping down as minority leader. Yeah. Um, this year. And that was a big piece of news right in the last week. Um, it was also another big piece of news. So Elaine Chow, um, you, you'll be familiar with the, the, the idea that there's a reason why cocaine Mitch became a thing was because Mitch McConnell is married to Elaine Chow. And Elaine, Elaine Chow's family has this shipping company that at one point, one of their ships was kind of pulled over for speeding. And there was a bunch of coke in the trunk. Essentially, they were uh, they were sh they were trafficking cocaine or carrying it, or there was enough of it where it warranted more than just somebody, you know, stowing something away or sneaking something on board. That it looked like a coordinated effort. It became a bit of news for a while. Hashtag cocaine Mitch and all that stuff. You'll recall that, I guess. I do right. kind of remember that. Yeah. So um, the the. You know, and that was related to Lane Chow and 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 was kind of that was the, a bit of this mini scandal that happened around her as the transportation secretary secretary married to the majority leader who's working in the White House. One of her ships that's owned by her family is trafficking cocaine. So transportation secretary, transportation cocaine kind of an, you know, it's just bad optics. <laughs> I would say. All right. So. Um, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Elaine Chow has a younger sister, uh, had had a younger sister, I should say, named uh, Angela Chow. And Angela Chow, it, within days of slightly before after Mitch McConnell 
um, stepping down and saying, announcing that he's stepping down as minority leader, um, died. She died here in Texas, where I am, mm-hmm. um, under mysterious circumstances on a ranch owned by Mitch McConnell. Angela Chow either uh, did herself in by driving her car backwards into a fishing pond yeah. here, or um, which was the original belief or what they were originally saying was that she either accidentally or accidentally on purpose or on, on purpose drove herself into this pond and drowned. And uh, yeah. And, and now as of 24 hours ago, it is now being treated as a criminal matter. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the, again, the ranch is allegedly owned by Mitch and, Elaine. Okay. Angela Chow is the reason why Elaine Chow has family in the shipping business. She was the CEO of Foremost Shipping, this shipping company. And she was, um, I guess, uh, and she's relatively young. She's younger than us. She's like four years younger than you and I. She's, uh, you know, and, a, and an attractive woman, you know, well-liked seemingly. Um, they tried for 43 minutes to resuscitate her and she was not coming back. Mm. Um, but Elaine Chow's sister, Mitch McConnell's sister-in-law, um, was believed to about 10 days ago or so, uh, have driven on February 16th, the 15th, uh, driven her car backwards into a pond and drowned. And they got there was a there was a water uh, emergency that they were the police and EMTs were called to the property, extracted the car, pulled the woman out. She was uh, presumed dead, but they worked on her for a while and she eventually passed away or was, you know, uh, recognized as already having been dead, that she was not there were (laughs) there was no they were getting no answers from this woman about how she ended up in this pond but initially the idea was and the family seemed to be hiding it that she may have done herself in really strange really sad all this stuff okay now like i said in the last 48 hours it is being treated as a criminal matter and that uh there is foul play suspected i suppose otherwise you wouldn't treat it as a criminal matter um Oddly enough, yes, I believe she was in a Tesla that drove backwards into the lake. And that's where I think they might have gone with the it was an accident. The car just kind of did an auto drive and went out there. But that doesn't seem to be the case. Um, Again, really hinky just in general, that part of it. Right. Just that, you know, that's a little wonky. The the head of this shipping company that famously the cocaine back in the the couple of years ago. And it's Elaine Chow's. You know, and there's all these new sanctions against China that have just started. Um, there's, you know, it's just hanky. Well, Elaine Chow is married uh, to a guy named Jim Breyer. And Jim Breyer not only has got this big venture capitalist firm that works in China, but he also works with another venture capitalist firm that uh, you might have heard it, of them. They own the Breyer Patch. They do. They, yes. Yeah. Breyer, yes. Where where the ice cream comes from. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> So terrible. Um, so they it, like I think I want to look at the data. This make sure. Yeah. January 31st, um, January 31st, um, Jim Breyer's 
venture capital firm, Angela Chow's husband, his venture capital firm <clears throat> was added to a list of companies that were doing business with the Chinese military that the Biden administration um, put sanctions on that they, you know, they have this ongoing sanctions list of, of companies that are either helping the Chinese military in terms of technological investment, or in this particular case, helping the, these venture capital firms would apparently seed money into technology companies that would go, Hey, we're going to give you a bunch of money. And part of the deal that you'll get with us is not just the cash we give you, but we're going to help you manufacture whatever you're working on. You know, your, your, your computer boards, your, um, you know, any, anything you need technologically, we've got factories in China that kind of will double the impact of our venture capital investment in you. And the Chinese government was using this as a way of stealing intellectual property from, uh, you know, American and Western companies through these venture capital firms that were linked with the military going, hey, we like those guys. Get them to build their stuff over here in one of our factories and then at night, we'll just run off with their stuff or we'll steal their schematics or we'll take all their, you know, the, uh, we'll go root through their hard drives and find out all how their technology works and reverse engineering. Yeah. And so he got added to that list January 31st of this year. Jim Breyer did. Um, about 14 days later, his wife is dead. Oh, boy who is the head of this shipping company that is linked to the Chinese military as well and has had this thing with like, you know, because if there are drugs, there's guns, there's terrorism, there's, you know, nefarious stuff. If you're shipping guns around, I think of one thing that I think we've all learned from Iran-Contra, for example, um, was that seldom is there one criminal enterprise going at it on at a time. And that in and of itself makes it more hinky. There's also another weird turn um, in this sort of venture capital story, not just with Jim Bryan and all this stuff. I'll, I'll tell you guys that after the break uh, that I've that I in, in looking at it, there was one little detail that stood out to me that I was like, that's really odd. We'll be back right after this. It's the House Parts Radio Program, Mega Worldwide slash True Crime Podcast um, with you now with 100 percent more Johnny Million. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to the House Sparks Radio Program, Mega Worldwide. Um, Johnny uh, giving us a piece of trivia during the break that the song, Baby Come Back, Any Kind of Fool Could See, was from a band called Player. Yeah. No, oh, yeah. Don't hate the player, hate the song. No, it's <laughs> actually, I'm kidding. I do. I love that song too. It's, 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 I would consider that a comfort song. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? There's certain songs where they come on and you're like, oh, all right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's good stuff. Um, so back to the mystery at hand. Okay. So amongst all this stuff in, in, in um, like January, um, there's this story that, you know, that Jim Breyer, who's got this Breyer investment thing, and he works with IGC Capital. I want, I'm going to get that wrong. Um, is a – like he's he's one of the heads of this, which is a – a company that is in Beijing. It's a Beijing venture capital company that partnered with venture capital companies in the United States and in the West and in other places to bring money over there and start these business ventures. Now, obviously, I've been documenting for quite some time just how 
awful the Chinese economy is right now. Um, there is uh, a ton of unrest happening in places. Um, the, the, the story about China is the news that isn't coming out. I would argue right now we'll get into that over the next week on my show because it's, uh, it's amazing. Like it is even by the standard of me trying to bring everybody on board with how like most of the economic news out of China for the past eight years, especially has been a farce. Mm -hmm. It's gotten uh, exponentially worse in the last six months, which is why it draws this draws my attention. Again, we're talking about uh, Angela Chow, the sister of Elaine Chow, who perished on a ranch uh, purportedly owned by Mitch and Elaine Chow here in Texas um, uh, on on February 15th. About uh, two weeks ago, uh, about a week ago, about 10, 10 days ago ish. <clears throat> Two weeks ago, sorry. And then two weeks after her husband um, and his venture capital firm were added to a list of companies that were going to be sanctioned because they were aiding the Chinese military. Um, <clears throat> now, one of the things that I looked at, like in, in kind of looking into the this story, because I hadn't heard much about it, so I had to do a lot of digging. I mean, have you heard anything about this? No, Johnny, not at all. First I've heard of it. Right. One would think that it would at least warrant a blurb. I mean, even if it, even if it's an accident, even if she had, uh, you know, sadly done herself in, it would be a newsworthy piece of information that the minority leader in the Senate and his wife, who was the former transportation secretary under Donald Trump, uh, that they had a relative pass away under curious circumstances at their ranch. Right. Um, and uh, Robin drop in our chat saying they just heard this last night. Um, yeah, it's just that it's just hit the criminal uh, it, it's just officially become a criminal investigation in the last 48 hours. So that m you might start hearing about it uh, other places besides here. One of the odd parts about this, though, is that um, if you look at what uh, Briar or what her husband has been saying, Briar has been saying about, uh, you know, Chinese investment over the last little bit, it is par for the course in the sort of hooey that I have been pushing back against. In one way, he's saying, yeah, the future is not going to be 8, 10, 12 percent return on your investment in China, but it's still going to be great. And it's uh, for the record, it's not. It is not. Anybody who's talking about investing in China for the future at all, if they're saying anything's going to be even remotely good, it's government military contracts. That is the only guaranteed return on somebody investing in that country right now, period. Um, because everything else is falling apart. Yeah. When it uh, comes to this stuff, though, there was an odd little side note. So um, uh, Elaine Chow's sister, uh, Angela Chow, who passed away, um, having been married to this guy who was tied to uh, you know, funding that went to the Chinese military, is that is it works out and ended up on a sanctions list about a month ago. She was married once before. She was married to a guy named Bruce Wasserstein. And Bruce Wasserstein was also a venture capitalist. His whole thing was, you know, uh, and he was famous in the, um, or made famous rather, um, in uh, Barbarians at the Gate, like a character based on him or that he's, you know, wow. it's a, he was, 
in many ways thought to be like the father of the hostile takeover. It's one of the people who, you know, were the driving force between this idea of like taking over companies, buying them up and selling them for parts. That idea. Um, think of him as sort of a like if uh, if you saw Richard, if you saw like uh, Richard Gere and, and um, in in Pretty Woman, <clears throat> imagine him played by Harvey Weinstein. Weinstein. Yeah, that's what he looked like. He looked like that. OK, that's who this dude is. He did that job and he looked like that. He was married to Angela Chow as well. He married her. And he died the year they got married. He died that right away. I think it was within eight months. They got married and he was dead. And um, uh, oddly enough, he I couldn't find uh, a like his, what killed him. He just died he, he went to the hospital for an irregular heartbeat and never came out mm-hmm. um cause of death not determined uh, this was at the time this is uh, this is 2009 oh uh company spokeswoman said though he had been hospitalized earlier this week for what was described as an irregular heartbeat well then he clearly had a heart attack or cardiovascular disease would be the thing or something like that i guess mm-hmm. uh they never spoke of it again but uh, she married him. He died. And then she went on to marry this guy who would invest in Chinese military contracts and and technology uh, over the next decade and uh, culminating in an Elaine Chow being transportation secretary for the uh, for the Trump White House. And of course, she's married to Mitch McConnell Um the amount of access is off the charts. Yeah. That access, thanks to Joe Biden, is drying up quick. Mm. And that seems to be, you know, I, I, I don't see how that's not related in this situation. I find this whole thing, and we're going to have to keep an eye on this over the next couple of weeks as they determine what her actual cause of death was. Um, I have not heard any, you know, I haven't seen any of the comments from uh, Breyer himself, um, you know, and, and it's sad no matter what for him and their family and whatnot. That's the that's the thing that always sticks with me is that this poor woman is gone and there are those who loved her and and what have you. But I will say that <clears throat> after years of and, and you guys know what a sinophiliac I am and a lover of Chinese culture. Um, that my experience when I was in China of the sort of the iron gate coming down over the last six years got so obvious. They were pretty subtle for a long time. And you could see in how American companies treated, you know, the Chinese market, the NBA, Hollywood, and all this stuff is this kind of future. Yeah, we're going to do business. We're going to do co-productions together. All this kind of stuff was the talk of the, sort of the international relationship between us and China. And then that uh, that hit a wall. Yeah. And since then, stuff like this has been happening. Is it related? We can't tell. There's no way of knowing in this regard. Does it draw attention to the fact that it's it, she died under mysterious circumstances. Nobody seems to be talking so far about what happened to her. And her husband was just added to a sanctions list of 
uh, venture capitalists who were aiding the Chinese military. Um, again, we'll keep a, a, an eye on it, but I it stands out. And the fact that it's not a scandal is a scandal in and of itself. we got to take a break. It's the House Parks Radio Program, Mega Worldwide. You're locked into the House Parks Radio Program, Mega Worldwide. So um, in the last 24 hours, also, uh, the U.S. has uh, started under uh, the under orders from Joe Biden to make airdrops of aid into Gaza. Much okay. to the chagrin of the Netanyahu administration in Israel. But we are currently they conducted their first drop airdrop of humanitarian aid um, uh, Saturday afternoon local time, which would be, before, you know, last night what have you. Um, uh, our time, uh, U.S. official told Axios he expect more airdrops in the coming days. Um, they give a wide scale delivery of aid to Gaza, um, and that the U.S. official that they were quoted saying, uh, there needs to be a ceasefire, which could be accomplished with a, uh, a deal to release hostages. Now that seems to be the big sticking point. One of the things that would stop the ceasefire, uh, the, the theory is, is they could stop a ceasefire simply by uh, returning the hostages. Give us our hostages back, and then we'll start you know, negotiating with you as people. But as long as you're holding our citizens and doing God knows what with them, and uh, including a 10-month-old uh, ten month old baby was one of the uh, um, still is one of the hostages that's still missing, um, that uh, returning, the, you know, again, the women and children to start um, and – you know, because of the patriarchy, um, women and children are released first and then men are kept to, you know, as uh, to be used as coasters. Um, that returning those folks, the idea is that this is the stalemate that we seem to be in, is that the Israelis and everyone else are saying return the hostages and that will do a lot towards stemming the need for, you know, further attacks or assaults or, you know, going in incursions. And Hamas seems to be saying, well, if we are not holding these people, you would just, you know, bomb the areas where our military guys are. So if we're not going to use our own people as human shields because you've told them all to leave, we'll use your hostages as human shields. So you can't bomb the main buildings because we that's more than likely where we're holding them. You can, you know, and and there's a very strong chance that some of the hostages have died in the in the fighting and the, you know, and in the. Uh, and the bombings that have happened around the tunnel system and, and the like, because there's no safe way to clear them out. They know that there's, you know, Hamas fighters and leadership in these tunnels. And so rather than send in, you know, 10 soldiers to die, they just blow the place up. And unfortunately, they're, you know, keeping these hostages near them as a way of dissuading uh, the Israelis from that technique. So that the Hamas does not seem to be, it, it, be planning at any time in the near future to allow this, you know, to, to give over the hostages specifically because they need them. They're, they are using them as cover. And that's the, that, that seems to be the stalemate. That seems to be the position of stalemate. But in the meantime, um, the Biden administration has ordered, uh, you know, officially uh, humanitarian aid drops into Gaza um, they 38,000 meals were dropped as like ready to eat meals. Um, they used a uh, USC 130. They dropped the meals along the coastline of Gaza, allowing for civilians uh, access to the critical aid. Now, this is after there was a, a stampede at one of the AIDS trucks and um, 
and about 93 people were killed, some of whom were trampled by the other people that were there. Others were shot as they attacked the the Israeli soldiers who were guarding the entry point where the truck came through. Um, and, and, you know, it's a mix of, uh, you know, again, uh, Hamas fighters versus civilians. And the p- concern seems to be internationally is that Gaza has a chance of turning into Mogadishu where uh, armed gangs are controlling the aid and therefore factioning mm-hmm. human beings and kind of making them, yeah, making them declare, um, loyalty to one faction or the other so that uh, when Hamas is wiped out and you can tell that Hamas is on its last legs um, it, it, and is probably not recoverable specifically because of how Egypt is acting. Hmm. Um, for those that don't know, Egypt has had this kind of quiet, tacit, uh, you know, under the table agreement with Hamas for a very long time where Hamas is saying, okay, we won't mess with your secular government and have the Muslim Brotherhood attack you on the regular if you don't join Israel in, in changing anything and you keep the border shut. Because we don't want Palestinians to have the ability, if they wanted to, to leave and move around to the West Bank or go someplace else. We, we want you to make sure they can't exit that way because we need the buildup of people, um, you know, over uh, over time because we're using them for our political purposes. That was the, and that was the argument. That was the agreement effect, effectively between Hamas and the Egyptian government for a while. That, again, has failed. And Egypt is allowing both the border to be more porous and is not supporting their, you know, they're leaning more towards supporting the Israeli uh, position than they are towards this, which shows that they're not afraid of Yahweh Sinwar and, and, you know, in his contacts in the Muslim Brotherhood of attacking Egypt or Egyptians in general. Um, there's no expectation that that's going to happen at this point because of that, because it's just not the structure left over. There's also, by the way, Islamic Jihad and all these other groups in there. They're the sort of ongoing concern and the uh, the aid, the jockeying for and the seizing of aid within their, that area. Um, the concern is, is that, you know, they'll they'll start corralling who has the aid and then Islamic Jihad will say, well, if you want to get food, you have to align with us. And and or give us your son or, you know, that kind of stuff, which is the you know tactics used by. ISIS and Boko Haram in Africa and the like, it is a very similar strategy. Anytime you have refugees and aid, there's this secondary industry underneath that. And the concern is, is that's what's happening in, in the southern part of Gaza right now. Um, and again, that's, you know, they were in um, uh, the, the like coast of like in the Kosovo situation, there was a similar uh, circumstance where where factions were controlling that stuff, and that's always going to be an issue. That's uh, yeah. Jesus <clears throat> um, uh, was the Palestinian Israel disappeared in 780 BC. That's because the Romans renamed it. Somebody in the chat room is saying that. Um, by the way, rehashing the history of places based on stuff that is over 400 years old and stuff is a little silly. And again, I think our biggest problem in this entire exchange is magic rocks. Is that anybody thinks rocks are magic? That you have to be near the magic rock or around the magic rock or the temple with a rock or any of that stuff. Uh, either the whole world is precious or it isn't. And uh, the idea that there are some places that are more important than others uh, is the. It, it, you can think of it as 
a imagine a resource war like oil, natural gas, farmland, something like that, but in a religious sense. Ugh. It's the same thing. You know, think of think of the, the the Temple Mount and all that stuff as the um, as the fertile soil or the oil fields of the religion. Right. That whoever has access and control of it. And it is, uh, the, you know, partly the ongoing fight between Saudi Arabia and Iran over Mecca and Medina, you know, and and the, you know, the latest turn in that is the argument that Mecca and Medina aren't the religious spots at all. And that there are Iranian, um, you know, messaging groups that are pushing for this idea that that originally it was the Temple on the Mount they were pointing to. That people are supposed they're praying in the wrong direction and they're supposed to be praying towards the Temple Mount and which is in Jerusalem. And if you uh, that's more reason for the Palestinians to take over that area and have it be an Iran proxy state to counter the religious pilgrimages going to Mecca and Medina. Like that's part of this fight. That's and that in and of itself is the unsolvable part. Yeah. No, no amount of aid or weaponry will change that group's mind. And the only thing that funds it is our and the rest of the world's attachment to oil. And as we move away from this, yep. As we move away from that to renewables, uh, nuclear, wind, tidal power, all those kind of things, and battery-operated vehicles, as you start to tip the 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 sort of power and control scheme of oil in the world, you are going to see this place goes be volatile first because everybody's going to be jockeying for the last bits of that control point and then gone entirely. Um, and there were wars over horses. I mean, go watch any Western about uh, and, and almost everybody who you'll see in those things get hung, you know, in the first 10 minutes of a Western series or a movie was because they were stealing horses, right? That, that was it. Who controlled the horses controlled, you know, everything, the economic structure of the area, the, the native tribes that got, you know, uh, horses from the Spanish initially wiped out all the tribes that didn't have horses if you know the, the Comanche and other tribes in the United States, you know they they formed partnerships or and or stole through raiding parties horses from the the Spanish as they brought them over, and that spread throughout the plains. The ones who had control of the horses, those are the ones who wiped out the other tribes. There sure. there, there was you know transportation being sort of the the pivotal point in this, and from. This is no different. And by the way, for the last little bits of that, before trains and automobiles and all that stuff came, the, the transition was relatively swift. Um, and it was ugly near the end. And this is going to be no different. Right? You can kind of expect this because people don't make these kind of transitions uh, quickly. Yeah. Um, and so when they do happen quickly out of your hands – that's when panic happens. That's when, um, you know, the when there's violence around it, right? Yes. Uh, because the last people hanging on to that are going to need – it's going to be a dwindling source in that regard. Um, um, 
uh, oh, thanks, KJ Dog Glove. Found three fake Housemarks Facebook profiles pages, reported all of them. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I only oh. have one. I have a one, one business page one. And, and one personal. Right. Um, so uh, I find it interesting that the, these stories seem to be together this morning. And it's not, it's sort of an accident, but it's around transportation. Both uh, the Angela Chow story and her family's, you know, wealth around you know, these giant tankers that both bring oil and, and I guess liquefied natural gas, I suppose. Why not? But uh, certainly coal. And uh, I don't, I have no doubt they ship, you know, uh, retail goods and the like. But in that pro, you know, the, the value, the power, the money that's involved in that transport, especially as supply chains got broader and farther apart, um, was enormous. It's a tremendous amount of money. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, what COVID did more than anything else was snapshot the idea that we were, that we would have a, a, a global supply chain and the just in time manufacturing idea that involves shipping across the entire oceans and relative, I mean, you know, six days, we get this made immediately six days from now, it'll be here because that's how long it takes the ship to get where it's going down South and they'll drive the rest of the way in a truck. Um, as we bring stuff closer to home through automation and, you know, molding manufacturing and other stuff in the United States, which is becoming increasingly easy to do. Um, there, there's going to be two elements of inflation that are going to be with us for the foreseeable future. And until that shift happens, till that shift is complete and, and it is going to happen. It is uh, just understand that the, the, most of the manufacturing that was done in China by the U S and Canada and our other partners over here is going to be done either here or in Mexico. And that's on its way. And that process is going to cost us in two ways. We'll talk about that on the other side of the break. Uh, it's the House Park Radio Program, Mega Worldwide on WCPT Radio, Chicago's Progressive Talk. Welcome back to the House Parks Radio Program, Mega Worldwide. Welcome back. So uh, I think I made a fairly decent case for why we need to uh, get off oil at a, in a measured way. You're not going to do it in a hurry because we can do it in the first world. We can do it in a relative hurry, you know, in a, in, over the course of an eight, 10 year period. We can, that's quick. Worldwide changes in how you uh, fuel your, uh, your transportation. That's, that's amazingly quick historically, especially as deeply entrenched as oil and gas are in our way of life. And I mean, the, the, the ability, the fact that we are transitioning out of it as fast as we are is really impressive. Yeah. Really, really impressive. But the rest of the world can't do it that fast. Certainly not Africa in its current state, <clears throat> Central Africa specifically, <clears throat> and, and parts of South America where getting food and resources deep into areas where there is uh, there there are no naturally occurring resources but there are lots of people now because that's the world petroleum built the only reason population started to explode in some of these areas was because fuel was viable cheap and relatively easy to procure 
And one of the things that people miss on, say, when, you know, OPEC, uh, in an attempt to push back against um, like American and, and UK petroleum growth uh, during Jimmy Carter's term where they played footsie with Ronald Reagan and all that kind of stuff that, yeah, right. During that time, one of the, you know, one of the things that happened is, you know, we had people in gas lines and people fighting. Remember there were stories in the news about people getting into fist fights and in gas lines in America and they stretched down the block. Those stories so swamped weird. the uh, the number of people who were starving to death. They, they, no one seemed to make the the connection that when OPEC or Russia at, at together OPEC plus when they lower output on purpose, while it drives up prices in the United States and and gets everybody kind of on the news going, who's this good for or bad for politically? In the in in our country, in a lot of other countries, this just stacks of dead bodies. That food truck is no longer fueled to get that food to those people, and the people who are who would drive the food truck are barely getting food themselves because the the little tuk tuk they have or the motorcycle they're using to get resources for them and their family might run out of gas too, and so that choking off of supply. Again, while it politically manipulates the United States, perhaps devastates other regions of the world. Um, uh, And one of the other, you know, it's one of the kind of bones I have to pick with the with the idiots that are throwing, you know, uh, paint on great works of art and that kind of attempting to obviously most of them are behind glass to protect against morons like this, but that they're going, you know, end petroleum now. Um, don't understand that unless you measure it out and you you land the plane, if you don't land the plane properly, you will crash the plane. And if you end petroleum today, you sign the, the UK, United States, Canada and everybody in the Paris Accord signs a piece of paper from this, today forward. All the gas is shut down. No more petroleum, period. End of story. The second you do that. You trigger a, a series of events that will kill about a billion people over the next um, year or so, about 18 months. You'll kill a billion people. And that's just uh, that's just a reality. There's no there's no way around that. And you can tell because anytime the price of it has gone up or production goes down or which demand would crash production and a bunch of you know loss of demand on that level would crash production. There wouldn't be the money in it to sell it to the first world nations. They have no impetus to sell it below cost to Central Africa or other places, so they just shut it off. They go to something else. They switch over immediately, or you know, or they they sell off the last little bits of it, but that's it. Yeah, it, like you wouldn't. There, there's no ambulances in this in Central Africa running anymore. There's no food trucks in South America running anymore. There's nothing, and the ships that would grind to a halt on top of that because there's no way to make it profitable there's no way to make it worth the trip the expenditure of the actual you know because again there's a an immediate drop in the cost of fuel and then a spike because nobody's making it anymore it becomes a boutique fuel because nobody's using it um transportation isn't for whatever it's worth you cannot beat physics ladies and gentlemen and it's kind of the bottom line Yep, you will always, and this is why The Fly is a dumb movie. 
we'll get into that later. But um, I love the fly, but it's dumb saying that. Oh yeah. I, well, I I mean I love all things uh, Gina Davis and all things Jeff Goldblum. So and Jeff Goldblum, I, you know, yeah. <clears throat> but for the record, the reason it's a dumb movie is because he spends all of his time trying to transport things, but he can't transport living things, and it's upsetting to him, and he doesn't want to release this technology until he does, not realizing that simply being able to teleport non-physical items would change transportation and the environment in an instant forever. Like no more shipping costs at all. Think of all the things that require weight going across roads that you could just teleport via electrical lines. Yeah. Yeah. It's absurd. It's teleport to the bathroom at 1 a.m. Well, I, you know, I, I think that what you'll get is, yeah, that's, that's, well, it's maybe there's a little adapter you could put on yourself. <laughs> it's like a bowel adapter everyone would have that once a day, just te- three times a day, teleports what's inside you out because it doesn't have to survive the trip. Um, oh, boy. Bowel adapter is another song title. I agree. <laughs> But the uh, point I'm trying to make is that's why it's dumb. Uh, the movie's over at that point. If he had just done that, he could have he would have made trillions of dollars within weeks, and could have spent the rest of his life figuring out how to transport humans safely. Just saying, <laughs> but uh, that like, I, I if I was that would have been a romantic comedy if I'd have written it. He never would have turned into a fly. He would have been a brilliant inventor who finds a quirky reporter who falls in love with him, no matter how stammery and odd he is. And, and is uh, you know, uh, but point being is that transportation is, uh, and the cost of transportation is one of the reasons why we had inflation because of supply shock. And that is going to continue for the foreseeable future as things that, you know, a, they, we don't need as stuff that's as far away. So for a ship to be worth its while to transport stuff, if it's transporting less, you know, you have these giant container ships that just have, look like impossible to fill. They look like cruise ships for containers, right? They look four stories high. It's nuts. Yeah. Um, if a lot of those ships, if they were half full, it wouldn't be worth the cost of the trip. For the people on the ship, it's worth it for the people whose goods are being shipped, but it's not worth it for them. So the price automatically goes up, right, to measure that out. My job isn't just to get your stuff from here to there. My job is to get your stuff from here to there and feed my crew, right, and pay my crew a, a wage and perhaps benefits. What a crazy notion, right? So kind of crucial and i'm sorry you're not feeling uh well today lisa but thank you for the super chat just lurk and relax it's okay we'll uh lurk um, let the words flow. yeah so for the you know in those situations you've got other people you know the the crews have to eat now i know a lot of the people who are pro houthi don't seem to care about that right now it's a very weird thing and notice how that's dropped off since the u.s and uk hit the the houthi missile sites the number of attacks have dropped off precipitously, and yet there weren't a lot of Yemeni deaths at all. Um, we'll get into that at another point. I'll be talking about on Friday AI this week. I will be talking a lot about um, the, the AI targeting systems that they're using to try and minimize civilian deaths. And so far, so good. Uh-huh. But, uh, you know, 
the transportation costs are one of the reasons why we've had what would be a persistent part of inflation that's not going to come down. It has nothing to do with money supply, everything to do with what it costs to get fewer goods from one place to another, those that are crucial. You know, used to be able to piggyback really important gear on top of stupid consumer goods, plastic garbage, and that would weight out the worth of the ship being transported. Now the fewer consumer goods, ask Temu, um, and, and why they go into debt $3 billion because it's to, it's, it is the Chinese government subsidizing the shipping industry so it doesn't collapse. So nobody, everybody goes, why would I get it from there? Why don't I get it from Mexico? Why don't I get it from Canada? Why don't I get it from the UK where we have a better I relationship? I pronounced it Timu. Huh? I pronounced it Timu, not Temu. I always call it Temu, uh, but uh, yeah, but <clears throat> it's not, ultimately it's not important. Um, <laughs> it's a fa- it's meant to sound uh, Japanese so people trust it more. It's a very weird business uh, model. Uh, we gotta take a break. Chat, we come back. In the chat said Temu sells landfill. Yeah, it is. It, it is a landfill right thing. Landfill. And the other the other thing that's going to keep prices up for a while is the elimination of slave labor. Um, Uyghurs. Picking cotton and working in in uh, electronics factories, uh, you can either have that slavery in the cheaper prices, or you can pay slightly more. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to the Hal Sparks Radio Program, Mega Worldwide. I've had people walk out of me before, but not when I was being so charming. Video streaming at housefarms.com. Well, I don't care for you or for the people it's like you're trowling out. Damn, us faithful sick. True progressive talk. Might be a good time for you guys to give up. Well, welcome back to the show and welcome uh, Philip Bittner, who's live in Ukraine, um, joining us. Johnny Million still with us. He's going to be farming questions from the chat room for, for Phil this time. And uh, thanks, Tom Ward, for that. Um, he always oh, says, thanks for reading the Hunter Biden deposition. Yeah. So for those that don't know, on Friday... Um, I got uh, I read the entire Hunter Biden deposition as like a radio play. Um, the all of it with the only thing I left out really was the like the rules of the thing at the beginning and the swearing in. But from that point forward, I read everything else and it was pretty fascinating and it was very disappointing for them. And they're getting angrier and at their lameness as it goes on. And it's its value as a distraction away from things like Ukraine funding and the like is fading as well. There, people are starting because you start stacking the L's in this situation and it doesn't look good. It's not. Yeah. And Swalwell, not, it, Swalwell took him to task. Oh, super good. Swalwell's. Yeah. It's a fantastic. Yes, it was. Um, now, uh, there are uh, there's a lot of stuff that happened. There was a drone strike in Odessa that killed civilians. Mm-hmm. There was uh, the the Ukrainians continue to shoot down S- uh, Su-35s at an amazing clip. It's weird. It's almost as if the Russians went, okay, well, because the U.S. is lagging, we'll start. Maybe they're out of Patriots or something. Maybe they're out of anti-aircraft stuff, and they keep finding out. Nope, they're not. Nope, they're not. They're not out. Um, and, uh, I think it's like the, uh, I think we're at 18 now or something like that. It's crazy yeah, over the last couple of weeks. And they knocked out, uh, at least two of these Antonov 50, uh, the equivalent of our AWACS, which might be the reason why we're seeing all the other fighter jets 
get knocked out get of the hit. sky. Because right. Once, they know once it's you coming. take out, right? Once the once you take out their early warning system in the form of these Antonovs, uh, they can't they can't mount a decent defense. Uh, mm-hmm. And and their and their coordination of their air forces is less uh, coordinated. Uh, they're they're you know they're planning and whatnot. Their synchronization, and that might have, be having a large part to do with it. And then there is a lot of talk about there being a new system, and it might be that it might be a new uh, uh, variant on uh, on the Patriot. Um, yeah. We're not exactly one hundred percent sure what's causing all the knockdowns, but there, it's definitely in conjunction with the, the Antonio fifties that we do know. Yes. Because they've moved them all away from the area where they're getting knocked out of the sky. Mm-hmm. So the Russians have shown by their deployment of their air assets <clears throat> that the Antonio 50 knockdowns have meant a lot to them, but they continue to knock down these fighter bombers um, in the form of mm-hmm. uh, SU-35s and 27s or mm-hmm. sorry, SU-34s and 27s. <clears throat> so it's 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 all obviously something is happening in the air war. We're not 100 percent sure what it is. That yeah, one of the curious part was is that from a tactical standpoint, it looked as if the um, because the Russians are using what are called glide bombs um, frequently, um, which uh, because which shows a I mean they're they're cheap and they're very devastating. They're a little more quote unquote dumb than uh, you know because they're not. If you if anybody saw the most recent um, Maverick, the uh, Top Gun movie. One of the things that they do is they fly directly towards a, t- uh, a, a site, and the airplane itself is the aiming mechanism of the bomb that's going to hit. So it uses the 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 force of the airplane going forward, and when they drop it, gravity pulls it a little bit, and that measure you can measure where it's going to land. That's different from a glide bomb, which is you just release it. And then it kind of drifts with the wind in a general direction over a period of time. And there's, it's not nearly as precise. Um, very different from, by the way, the Israelis in Gaza are using the, the same technique. You see the, the, the directional bombing where they're flying the planes downward at the target and then they release them. These glide bombs can hit whatever. The problem is, is that you have to, they, they fly a little slower when they release them. And it may be one of the reasons because the Russians are nervous about their planes being hit, that they're getting more planes hit because they're releasing these glide bombs. It's it's like this back and forth. You know, it's it. That's the cost of doing it. The cost of doing it that way. At, at the same time, though, it's incredibly devastating, and they don't care. It's not like they're missing a target. They don't care what the targets are. They just want to hit anything they can. So they're just peppering it. It's again, it's that artillery aspect, that World War Two, World War One. Russian artillery attitude. So yeah, sorry. And then, there's the, strike, and then the, and, and then the strike in Odessa mm-hmm. has been devastating. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, if you'll allow me, I mean, there are seven yeah. dead people uh, at the time at the time we're broadcasting. Seven dead people, including a ten-year-old child, by all reports, uh, and a three-month-old child whose body was found underneath her mother, who was trying to protect her infant child uh from the collapsing rubble mm-hmm. um those those seven people's lives are uh snatched away from this earth in no small part uh due to the gop and mm-hmm. speaker johnson who i consider their blood upon their hands in no small part that's yep. a three-month-old child who will never grow up who will never find love who will never live a life 
who will never potentially become a doctor and find a cure for cancer or write a, a poem that moves another human being. That is a child's life who has been snuffed out because mm-hmm. Speaker Johnson wants to play domestic politics with Ukrainian lives. And mm-hmm. we should all be deeply, deeply uh, upset at the, at the way the GOP has handled the uh, Ukrainian aid deal. It, uh, it was a drone strike against mm-hmm. their apartment building. And one of the things that we do really well is uh, knock drones out of the sky. This could have been avoided. That yep. that uh, three month that three month old infant would be alive now if Speaker Johnson had given uh, had let that aid package uh, go to the floor. Uh, shame on him. Shame on the mm-hmm. GOP. And uh, we need to we need to correct this because yeah. they made promises to these people not only in two thousand not only all the way back in nineteen ninety four where we said we would protect them if they gave up their nukes and we are being negligent in that. But in this current full-scale war, we said we would be here for the Ukrainian people, and we're not. And there are seven people who are dead right now in Odessa because Speaker Johnson has failed in his job. Shame on you. Shame mm-hmm. on you, Johnson. Yeah. And I, uh, I've i been calling him uh, – we called him Monday, Wednesday, Friday this week. I called him after the show on Friday because I had to leave early. Um, but um, well, I posted – and I'm going to do it again this week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. In the morning show, we will be calling him as part of the show. I post the number for um, Spear Johns. It's in the chat as well on the regular um, uh, I, and, I call, and so, I call my representative on yeah. the daily or I call him. Uh, you know, we need to keep the pressure up. Yeah, and if you're anywhere near the Beltway, if you're anywhere near where the belt near the Beltway, there is a daily protest at the corner of New Jersey and Independence. Mm-hmm. Um, go join them. Go join them. Make your voice heard. Will do. Um, also, uh, you know, I my representatives are on board with Ukrainian aid, so uh, they know, and it doesn't mean I don't call them to to restate that. But I will say that there's more value for me or and I think a lot of people who are in an area where the person we voted for actually got in office, uh, contacting the speaker's office um, is really helpful because you've got to, you know, checking that mark that, again, they don't care what you say or how you say it. They're just checking the box for border bill, for Ukraine aid, you know, all that. That's what you want to do. You want to make sure that your voice is heard and they add that to the, to the check. So, um, uh, that list. Now, one of the other stories, I guess this is sort of a, and we, this may bleed over into the <clears throat> next one, but there was this, um, allegedly, uh, like a wiretap conversation between the Germans, the Germans. About, yeah. about striking the Kirsch bridge with Taurus missiles. Yeah, it, apparently yeah. it intercepts, and we always have to be mindful of where the, yeah. the sourcing is from this. This is clearly an, in a, a conversation between two, if I understand this correctly, two military uh, officials in Germany, uh, uh, just kind of spitballing, as it were, just kind of yeah. uh, war gaming, as it were, yeah. uh, what it would take to knock down the bridge. And they were saying, you know, look, this thing is so huge. It's going to take X amount of, of strikes against it to knock it down. Right. This is all in the backdrop of uh, Schultz uh, also being obstructionist and stopping the Taurus, which is a really powerful cruise missile. 
mm-hmm. um, a- akin to the Shadow Strike, which is uh, Britain's version. They've given Britain's given their version. Then they apparently behind the scenes are urging the Germans to send their equivalent, this Taurus system. But the Germans are being reluctant. It is interesting, however, that this intercepted call, which is clearly a Russian, op, mm-hmm. they clearly have tapped into this phone line. Um, yeah. And the discussion—it's—it's it's interesting because the discussion is just—they're just saying, like, hypothetically, if we were to do this, what would it take? Uh, and not even we do it. So the, the, it is taken on this life of its own. Of like, the Germans are going to strike the Kerch Bridge. No, what they're saying is, if we were to give the Taurus to the Ukrainians, what would it take? And we would okay. Obviously, we'd have to give them targeting assistance. We would have to do this. We'd have to do that. Yeah, but, but you know. I have listened from what I have listened to the phone call. And again, I don't speak German, so Mm -hmm. I'm getting them through an interpretation is that they are just basically saying, were we to give Tauruses to the Ukrainians? I don't think any German right now is talking about actually actively participating in, 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 you know, combat operations in Ukraine. So, um, from what I saw, I think they were talking about like what, you know, it's like, what would it would take to actually knock this thing down? What do we have? Because it would take one of our Taurus missiles to do this. If we were to do it, we'd have to hit it here, here, and here, and here. So what do they have that's similar so we know what they're up to? Not quite the, we're planning on hitting it for them with our stuff. It right. wasn't anywhere close to that. And I think the problem is, is that the slapdash reading of it played into that you know, creating that well, illusion. And the, prop- and the propaganda machine has taken over. Once again, I just reiterate, we're under a psychological and information war, and we should be aware yeah. of that. This is part of it. Agreed. Uh, we got to take a break. We'll be back right after this. I want to, um, uh, I'll interject a little bit of the um, the Chinese ISUN leak, um, IS00N leak, uh, into this conversation as well, which is uh, APT41, which is the Chinese, uh, Chinese version of like, um, the uh, fancy bear Russian system, you know, and, and APT 19, I think was one of the ones um, we'll talk about some of that on the other side, because that's part, that's an integral part of this war, this information warfare part that I want to bring up. We'll be back. You're locked into the house sparks radio program. Mega worldwide. So um, for those that don't know, there was a big um, intel leak. Everybody's calling it the the Chinese Edward Snowden, whoever this person is, that worked for a company possibly. They don't know who did it, but released all these documents from a company called iSoon. I mean, that's what people are calling it, but it's actually IS00N. <clears throat> that's a company that um, is a hacker group for hire that the CCP uses. And it's based on the same model that uh, – you know, that the Russians use both both with their kind of specifically government aligned groups and the ones they hire in North Korea, for example, that do all this stuff. And one of the things that stood out to me about this was there's a bunch of stuff in there about how they, you know, manipulate algorithms and how you get like they, they, they it had a price list of uh, an FBI agent, like getting their phone number and a tap on their phone line was like, you know, 20,000 U.S. paid to this group. And if you wanted somebody inside the Oval Office, it was $150,000 to $200,000 U.S. to do this. And part of the reason why this came out was, uh, you know, and again, this is 
totally related to the Chinese economy collapsing and how much government money there is to actually slather around these things that the people working in these groups who were promised, you know, fairly cush jobs doing this stuff were starting to get mad because they weren't getting the money they were promised. <laughs> and so and and so they whoever dumped this very well may have been one of those folks. Now, it also could have been somebody who was, you know, poking them about you deserve better. Why don't you come work for us? And then they extracted that person, and then that person, you know, either through faking their death or something like that or whatever so that their family wouldn't be harmed, is now working for the U.S. government of the U.K. or MI6 or whoever, and they dump this stuff online as part of it. But there's, but it seems to be more internal. It seems to be that it's – they're griping about the company. It seems like disgruntled hacker employees, and they're dumping – and the threat is they're going to dump even more of this stuff online. And one of the things they dumped – was this um, this program that they have that they sell, which is a, a Twitter social manipulation strategy, this program that can take over what are effectively that like null accounts, people who set up a Twitter account a long time ago but don't really use it anymore, or, but it's still there. They never shut it down officially, can just take over all those and start and use all them and and dump a messaging scheme on. And they, they have this huge pathway by which they do this. And they didn't invent it by any stretch. But it's it's the first time I've ever seen it laid out by, you know, and how it works, what you're paying for, what you get. And this is a company, again, aligned with the Chinese military, you know, obviously aligned with the CCP, but but done in sort of a mercenary arrangement, which is why it got out, because they have internal ones groups that do it as well. And they've started internalizing these groups. And this may be why it came up, is that they scooped up a bunch of these private things that they had done, like Russia does, and just incorporated them into the Chinese military. So they can just, if you get out, if you paint outside the lines, they just shoot you, because you're a direct traitor in this. Whereas in this particular instance, like they, in the, whoever didn't want to be scooped up, apparently is mad that they're not getting paid anymore, and are dumping this stuff online. But the, but this is it's, inter- uh, it's interesting because it's not exactly how the Russians have it set up. The mm-hmm. Russians have it set up so that it's one de- or it has been in the past. I don't know post Prigozhin's death if they've been absorbed into the right intel- the actual military intelligence apparatus. But what they originally had did what they had what they had originally done. <laughs> Uh, back in 2016, 2012, all the kind of high watermarks when the Russia was interfering in, in particular in our elections is they would have one degree of separation. So mm-hmm. that if anybody actually got caught, they could just be like, oh, I don't know, some hacker in Russia. We didn't have anything to do with it. You know, is it like that in China as well? Or is it, it's my understanding they don't have that kind of structure. No, well, uh, that's the thing is that you can't really tell because there's no such thing as private anything really over there, exactly. especially over the last exactly. eight years. It's increasingly done that. But again, Russia's doing the same thing. If you could look at, it's almost like Russia's following the same well, the mechanic the same. that China's doing. Yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah the technique but that they're, the they're, they're taking Wagner Group used to be external. Now they're saying it's ours, and we admit that it was always part of the military, even if it was at arm's length before. Mm-hmm. The same thing is kind of going on in terms of these Chinese groups. But I think the specific thing was this, this categorical process by which they would artificially dump talking points, hashtags, you know, civil unrest 
you know, verbal wars between people by playing up extremities and then setting fake accounts to and for against it to drive it up in the algorithm so that, you know, in any group, large group of people, there's some dunderheads. And so you can always get the real dunderheads mixed in with the fake ones and nobody can tell the difference. And then you have all these alleged free speech defenders going, they're trying to stop. Yeah, yeah. Now that the owner of the single largest social network in the English speaking world has decided to take complete hands off in regards to mm-hmm. any kind of regulation of his of his platform, uh, you know, it's just it's the Wild West. It's it's insane. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, they're going to of course, they're going to capitalize on it. And, it's, and the closer we get to the election, closer we get to November, uh, both Chinese and, and Russian, I'm sure will just be right. absolutely. That platform is, it's just, I i find very little benefit from still remaining there I, in terms of the information I get from it. I use it as a platform to put my stuff out, but as far as like gaining information from it, I see very little advantage there. It's, it's useless. And that crazy South African with, you know, who is just, I mean, boy, the, the, the deeper you dig into his past, woo! Which he is which he is a very disturbed individual. The the Musk. The the you know, Oh yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Very disturbed, very uh-huh. disturbing past. Um Johnny, do we have any questions before I go into yeah, the next sure, yeah. uh, piece of, okay. Let's let's grab a couple of those start early because I, I will have a tendency to again filibuster if we're not careful. <laughs> Right on. So this first one's from Linda Blanton. Can you ask Phil about how many Russian planes they've shot down in total this last month? Plus, oh, as a side note, um, Deidre and Linda are going to see Hal tonight, so you'll have extra cheering support. Sweet. Uh, The latest number, I think, was – I'm trying to remember. It's well over 18. I don't know the exact exact number. I know there were the two Antonovs, and there's been – I've got, I can bring it up here. Yeah. Bring it I'll, up. Start, I'll see if I can bring it up as well. Um, Let's see here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have how many? How many? I don't know. It's 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 up there, though. Here, Oh, here we go. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, so sorry here. How many exactly are we at? It's because it's changing so quickly. I, th- I think we got two today, actually. Yeah. 11 yeah, SU 34. Yeah. 11 mm-hmm. SU 34s have been hit, uh, struck down. Um, mm-hmm. The two A 50s. Uh, and then I know there are a bunch of 27s as well. I mean, they're, they're mm-hmm. knocking them every day. They're knocking them down. There was some suspicion that it might have, it might actually be the F 16s. Who, that have arrived here and, and the Ukrainians who are keeping that quiet. I don't think that's the case. I think, I think with the, this is a prolonged thing. This has been going on for the better part of two weeks now, uh, if not even a little bit more. Uh, and if it was actually, um, if it was actually F-16 shooting their AMRAM air to air missiles, by now mm-hmm. the Russians would have recovered some debris and said, Hey, F-16s are here and we're angry about it. Because uh, right. that is in their benefit. I, I do. There's been speculation. There's a new targeting system when it comes to S two hundreds or three hundreds, uh, or it could be another variant that the Patriot. But whatever it is, is knocking down. I mean, we're we're well into. I think it is eighteen. I want to say it's eighteen. Yeah. 
but I'm fairly yeah, fairly certain that's the number yeah, two. Um, like one or two, one or two a day. I saw two today. But again, going back to the beginning of our of, of the of, of our hour here, when I, we talked about the the big thing, I think, uh, aside from whatever munition is being used, whatever new tactic or, uh, or or munition or or weapon system that the Ukrainians are using, whatever it is, there was a it was a sig- hugely significant that the two Antonovs fifties uh, were were knocked out of the sky because that, in essence, cuts off the head, blinds them in the air. And they can't coordinate their air forces, so that's why we seen then after the Antonovs, the, these twenty sevens and thirty. There was there was a uh, a huge milestone that I think uh, aligns with and and I, I misspoke. It was Thursday when I did the read through of the uh, the Hunter Biden transcript, um, but there was you know one of the things he talked about was the fact that he was there as a, as a to represent like good governance on the board of Burisma to make sure that when money came in, it went to where it was supposed to go. You don't necessarily, everybody on a board doesn't know how the mechanics of any company they're working on works, but they have a specific role, legal, other stuff. And he was specifically saying, you know, we need to, uh, you know, we need to make sure that the, the funds and everything that was supposed to be spent was spent where it was supposed to. Well, there was a, I guess, for the first time this winter, uh, ever, as far as I know, Ukraine got through the winter on its own yes. gas. Yes, that's right. Using its own gas reserves, it got through the winter just using that. Instead of having to get any from Russia or, or anywhere else, I suppose Russia was the other source in it. Um, that's a huge turning point. That, you know, the same is true, by the way, of, insofar as I know, Germany. Um, a couple other European countries that were using Russian, you know, gas, they stopped using Russian gas. Now, they're not going to get it from themselves. Mm-hmm. They're getting it from Qatar and Norway and other places like that. But Ukraine just used the gas it had for the first mm-hmm. time ever. It's it, it's it is totally in it, its, you know, self-sufficient in that regard in a way that Germany isn't. You and I have talked about this. Well, we got to take a break. But when we come back, you know, um, we'll take more of the questions. But you and I have talked about how. You know, you, if Ukraine is allowed to flourish, it could very well become the biggest European economy, you know, member of the economy. Um, yeah. Bigger well, than Germany. Yep. Um, uh, over time, because of its resource richness and its infrastructure in that regard, which is what the Russians have been trying to undermine forever. We'll be back right after this. It's the House Parks Radio Program, Mega Worldwide. Uh, check out Philip Itner. He's got a new podcast coming out. Um, go to his uh, at Philip Itner, one L, two T's on uh, YouTube. And uh, we'll be back right after this. Welcome back to the House Parks Radio Program, Mega Worldwide. We were just talking during the break that the number of Russian casualties is now, as of you know, the 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 most current number I have, four hundred and fifteen thousand six hundred and forty nine hundred and sixty extra dead since last night. And the U- Ukrainians have lost a lot of people as well, and they've lost civilians in this fight or whatever. But it, you know, the number given by the Ukrainian ministry is close to th- thirty one thousand dead, probably uh, you know. Double that in injuries. Usually that's how it works. And a lot of the people who are injured, if it's not a catastrophic or debilitating injury, are cleared up and sent back. So like a a Purple Heart level injury would be, you know, categorized in that they would be rotated out and then rotated back in. 
415,960 Russians yeah. dead or, or amputated limbs, debilitating, gone for, gone from the battlefield forever. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the, I mean, you, it is every, yeah. every single person that I have ever spoken to who has come off the line yeah. uh, in any, any battlefield. Uh, a ten to fifteen uh, to one ratio is is totally believable. Normal. I, spoke, right. I I have spoken to so many both both foreign fighters who have come here and joined the Legion, uh, or Ukrainians that have come off the line. Yeah, ten to fifteen to one is a completely believable number. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I subscribe. I subscribe again to the Russian and the Ukrainian uh, telegram channels to see how both are talking about certain things. And you can really get a decent picture on how they're telling the story from, you know, both sides of a battle, both sides of an interaction, um, uh, uh, ticks, troops in combat, um, you know, in, in contact rather. Um, and even the Russians are admitting that, that, that it's a it's a four to one kill ratio Ukraine to Russia that when they're in battles th- there was there was a story just this week of four Ukrainians who were separated from their unit who had moved down the line and you know and everybody else had gone another direction encountering somewhat somewhere in the area of like 28 to 30 Russians and there wasn't a single Russian survivor yeah. in that exchange all the Ukrainians rejoined their unit t- 28 to 30 uh, dead Russians in that in that one situation, and just these four guys. And and again, this is with them on, you know, on a on a skeleton crew level of gear. Imagine if they could just you know. And, and by the way, this would mean less Russians dying too. For all the people who like the Marjorie Taylor Greens in the crowd are like, all these Ukrainians are dying for the inevitable. I'm like, I got news for you. The Russians are dying for the inevitable. They're not going to take Ukraine. They might occupy chunks of this, but it'll be an ongoing rolling horror, you know, unless they're driven out for the next two decades. No, they're crowing about Avdivka. Avdivka is a city. I hesitate to even call it a city. 30,000 people. It looks right. like a city because that's how their architecture is. That old right. Soviet block, those high rise buildings. Thirty thousand yeah. people. If yeah. they try to occupy if they try to occupy a town of a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, much less a million or two, they don't yes. have the capacity. They do not have the means to take these cities and hold them. They can they can take open ground, they can try, they can take little hamlets and villages, but they can't occupy a city. They're going to lose this war. There's no way they can mm-hmm. win this war. And by by the metrics of will there be a country called Ukraine? Will it have access to the Black Sea? Uh, you know, will it hold yes. most right. of its territory? And yes, it will. So this this fatalism of the GOP and the Marjorie Taylor Greens of, well, uh, you know, Ukraine is destined to lose, so we shouldn't even try to support them. That's that's not true. That's just simply not true. The Ukrainians are going to win this war. They're going to survive this war. It's just a matter of how many more of them have to die before you break the back of, of Russia. And that is coming. That is coming. There there may not be a number of casualties that will do the, 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 the breaking of the back, 
But yeah. when when eventually it is clear that they are never going to take back places like Odessa, um, because I mean you can't keep bombing a city and expect them to, you know, welcome you with open arms. That's just not going to happen. Right. They have turned Odessa against well, them. I mean, they forever. still have, they still have sixty thousand children that they've taken. I mean, we talk about the uh, 112 or so hostages that we're aware of that they still have, that the the Hamas and uh, Islamic State have in Gaza. And and Russia's sitting on top of 60,000 children that they are placing with, you know, God, well, they're placing them God knows where, but the assumption is they're placing them with, like, Russian families to have the like their Ukrainian identity um, and they're you know, proud of it. They're proud of, of it. Yeah, right. They, they crow about it. They say we have, yeah. we have denoctified. We have we forced them not to speak Ukrainian. We forced them to denounce their families, their country, you know, what have you. The, the, the kids that do find their way back here from a variety of – there's a bunch of programs here in Ukraine. Exchanges that try to find and right. – yeah. Exchanges and trying to get them back. And the stories these kids tell when they come back – of being beaten in class by ru- their Russian teachers, I mean physically beaten, um, by, by forcing uh, just the Ukrainian kids to stand up and, and uh, you know, uh, say the, the Russian national anthem and all the rest of the play and, and, you know, pledge their allegiance to, to Russia and to the Kremlin. You know, these guys are, these the, what they're doing to these children, it's ethnic cleansing, full stop, ethnic cleansing. Yeah. Tens of thousands of children. It is, of course, the Ukrainians are not going to just forgive and forget. You know, this mm-hmm. th- they're not going to stop fighting and they're never going to forgive Russia. Um, right. And we, you know, all those who are defeated saying that Ukraine can't win don't know the Ukrainian people and they don't know what's happening here. This this country, if we give them the arms, they will take back their territory. There's not a doubt in my mind. You know, you, t- you right. talk about the you know four or five guys coming up on 20 Russian soldiers. That's it, due in no small part and not exclusively. They're not superhuman, but they're determined. Right. They know why they're mm-hmm. fighting. This is their land, and it makes all the difference in the world. I mean, when they talk about, oh, Ukraine, Ukraine can't beat the great military might of, of Russia, well, they said the same thing about the Taliban. They said, you know, the right. Iraqi insurgency, you know, beat the American military machine by wearing them down, by, ha- by being determined for fighting for their homes and their families. You right, know, they're not going to beat. They're not going to beat the Ukrainians. The Ukrainians. Well, and also, I would, I would uh, again. I, I, I have my own feelings about Afghanistan being the graveyard of empires because I think it really those wars always end when people realize what the heck are we here? Why are we trying to take this area? Ukraine is a very fertile, very resource rich, very oh, yeah. culturally rich. The people themselves are smart. These are not. Not like there's no wide open deserts or you know are are difficult to traverse form you know areas of Ukraine normally, um, so you can see why anybody would want it to be there. I mean, like, it, but for all this awful, you'd be hard pressed to tell the difference between it and Kansas some of the time, um, because again, the, like as far as the 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 weather, the agriculture, the you know. The, the nature of, of that it's 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 crucial yeah. um yeah whereas somebody just yelled poppy fields yeah that's the one thing in afghanistan that everybody's fighting for uh, yeah. yeah it's a beautiful country afghanistan I, it's it's the only other thing that afghanistan has and it's just one of these things it's a tragic you know set of circumstances is that it happens to be at the intersection of a bunch of empires that kind mm-hmm. of t- try to tra- traverse it 
and since it's the high, it's the high ground. And once you kind of can traverse it, if you're India and you're trying to go for China or the subcontinent trying to go for China or the, you know, Central Asia trying to come down, or it's just this kind of transit axis point. And that's their, their tragedy of Afghanistan is that. Uh, but aside, but you're absolutely 100% right. Aside from that and poppies and maybe a few gemstones and what have you, there's not a lot in Afghanistan. Lovely for tourism <laughs> if there was stability because it is beautiful, but there's not a lot there as opposed to Ukraine, which has so much to offer. Right, exactly. And But the point is, like, why why stay? The Russians have a bigger reason to stay than anybody would have a reason to stay necessarily in Afghanistan as an outsider. Um, right. Yeah. So that's that that's that's why the drive is different in that regard. Um, let's uh, let's grab another question before we get to the end of the next break. Sure thing. Yeah, I've got one from Connie Kelly here. A uh, question for Philip. Have any of the power lines going into the nuclear plant been repaired to keep the plant from losing or from melting down if it loses its last source of coolant power? Well, uh, it's my understanding that the power lines aren't the issue. It's the water line. And mm-hmm. I know that I know that um, uh, that uh, in the uh, what is it the uh, International Atomic Inspection Agency IAEA um, that they've been working very hard on keeping that going. So I don't think we're anywhere near a crisis point at Zaporizhia. So um, the big threat at Zaporizhia is that they keep the Russians keep putting military assets there. Uh, that that and you know what would happen if they did purposely cause a, a meltdown or, or some sort of, uh, you know, event, but that would, that would be on Russia's, that would be a willful thing. I don't, I don't think there, I don't think we are at a place right now where the Zaporizhia plant is, is, is at risk because of the infrastructure failing or because of a lack of technicians or what have you. So, um, but we shall see. Look, I mean, it's it's the world. It's Europe's largest nuclear power plant, and a uh, meltdown or some sort of catastrophe there would be disastrous for the entire continent. Mm-hmm. But as far as I understand it, right now they they have both power and water. All right. Well, um, we got to take a break. We'll be back with more of your questions. Uh, um, meanwhile, uh, check out Philip Bittner's YouTube channel where he's got his upcoming podcast, which is launching in another week or so. We'll see. Um, I think. It, yeah, yeah. Um, like, subscribe while you're at it. Uh, Patreon.com slash Al Sparks. Great way to support the show. Um, and, of course, uh, we have a little Venmo thing on the screen and all that kind of stuff. And Super Chats always help. And we're always welcome and, and help us uh, sustain the show. Thank you so much. We'll be back right after this. I am happy, you are happy, let us be happy together, whether the weather is cloudy or sunny, I will always be a funny honey bunny, I am lucky, you are lucky, let us get lucky together, whether the weather is cloudy or breezy, I'll be there to say, hey, come on, let's take it easy, because isn't it nice to have the friends that you do, and isn't it nice that the sky is so blue, and isn't it nice to say I love you, chugga chugga choo choo, woo I am smiling, you are smiling, let us smile together, whether the weather is cloudy or stormy, I will still be there in the morning, I'll be right by your side in the morning, I'll make you breakfast in the morning, I hope that you like cereal. Yay! (laughs) Hooray! (laughs) Um, uh, Welcome back, so uh, Phil was holding up his, uh, was that... uh, um, Patron, the, the bomb-sniffing dog, which has become a, uh, a hero amongst the Ukrainians um, and a character. I He brought me a, a stuffed Patron yeah. uh, that I uh, – is in a, 
is he's right at the, at the, we have this little like stair landing place that's uh, like has no purpose in architecture, but it's just a good place to put something three dimensional that's like relatively small that you could, you pass by it every day and it's right there. Um, so that old um, he is, um, let's, let's continue with uh, questions and I'll, I'll try and not eat up too much of the time. So, um, uh, Johnny, what do we got? Yeah, here's one from Nick Rich. Uh, is the farmers' blockade of Ukraine goods into Poland affecting the economy in both countries? Hmm. Um, I mean, it's it's not not having an effect, but it's not it's not devastating. It's not it's not you know um, it's. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's it's going to have an effect uh, on Ukraine's uh, economy. Uh, I don't know if it's affecting Polish uh, Poland's uh, economy uh, significantly. Uh, ironically, they are still sending dairy this direction. The, the Poles give the Ukrainians dairy, and the Ukrainians give Europe and Poland, by extension, grain. And that's been the real big issue with you with with Polish farmers. Although I see, and I think I, I, I'm not the only one who sees this. I see the Russians' hands all over that. Yeah, they're all they're all over that blockade. That is not that is not a grassroots movement in Poland. That is being manipulated. That's being created. Uh, it is clearly Russian involvement in that industry in Poland. Um, I wish the Poles would crack down harder on it. They they, you know, the, uh, Polish officials have said repeatedly that you know we, we under our legal framework we can't exactly do it. We have you know you have the right to assembly, you have the right to protest, all that good stuff. Um, I just I mean there are you know, uh, pressures that could be brought to bear because it is clearly Russian interference. And one last note on that whole thing is, and this is, I've heard this from so many Ukrainians to attack grain in particular uh, for the Ukrainians is something really, really a sensitive topic because of the Holodomor and the, and the, the forced famine of the 1930s where bread and grain were like, if you could get your hands on, on grain, you 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 treasured every little piece that you could get your hands on, and this has right. moved, this has been passed on down the generations. Food, especially grain, is taken very seriously in this country because of that famine, and to see it being thrown out onto Polish fields, it really makes Ukrainians angry, and it, t- it touches a nerve. So, and the Russians know that. So, yeah. um, this this whole th- that whole thing is being orchestrated. As far as real economic effects, I don't think it's significant. Yeah, um, I, I there was part of what came out about the uh, I think it was Apartment Twenty One and the Fuzzy Bear, Fancy Bear hacks and all that kind of stuff, and this this new stuff that came out from iSoon was there the background of like China's interaction with Russia and and them kind of looking at what Russia was doing and going we should do more of that in certain areas. So they talk openly about their working with these Russian hacker groups about stuff that they want to work on. And they're like, we could do this in our own country. And one of the things they talk about is not just farmer protests, but the yellow vest protests in France and, Mm -hmm. uh, and some of the, like the right wing stuff around Marie Le Pen, certainly the Trump world stuff. They, they discuss how like, look how the Russians were able to be very successful in promoting and pushing the, the yellow jacket, uh, protests in France to violence, because the point isn't that workers don't have a right to protest and stuff. Their goal is to take any natural gripe you might have and elevate it to violence, elevate and it to cross the line. Yeah. 
keep in mind that there's a long history of conflict between Ukraine and Poland as well. They've fought a lot sure. of wars, those two countries. Well, and the Russians know it very Putin well. Putin was talking about Yeah. But what Putin was, was talking to about, it up. Left, left to their own devices, actually, the Poles and the Ukrainians. I've been to the Polish cemetery in Lviv where uh, there are thousands of Polish soldiers that are buried there yeah. for a war that was that was a war that happened between Poland and Ukraine uh, in 1919 to 1921 um, and there is also there though a monument of the the Ukrainian leader at the time I believe it was Poroshenko and the Polish uh, uh, leader at the time laying flowers at that cemetery of Polish uh, soldiers in an effort to uh, to seek reconciliation and the Russians mm-hmm. know that perfectly well so they're trying to rip that wound right back open and yeah, that's that part of the Putin that. interview with Tucker Carlson what he kept bringing up was that he, you could tell he was trying to plant some seeds on that interesting thing is after that interview Putin you know basically mocked and uh, derided Tucker Carlson. Apparently, Tucker Carlson has now re- has uh, responded in kind. He was on uh, Alex Friedman's podcast and yeah. said that that, that Putin's uh, you know justification using denazification of Ukraine was quote one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. Fight, 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 fight. Yeah, fight, exactly. Fight, fight. Right. I'm here. For um, it. I'm here for it. Yeah. And uh, he goes, I hate the whole conversation because it's not real calling the Ukrainians Nazis. Uh, it's just ad hominem. It's a way of associating people with an evil regime that doesn't exist anymore. Now, granted, this is a guy who had a head writer when he worked at Fox who who wrote like mm-hmm. anti-Semitic and racist, you know, pro-white propaganda on websites that go that went well beyond the I'm happy to be Irish, you know, level of stuff to to the, uh, you know, white people should be running the world level of things. And it was his head writer. And the idea that he didn't know is just ridiculous because he hired the guy specifically. He brought him on. So come on. Come on. Perfectly perfectly happy to see Tucker. uh, I'm fine with their back. Yeah. All for it. I'm here for it. Yep. That's that's what the disinfo. Right. That's where the disinfo campaigns break down because there's always the human element. As like I was talking about with transportation, there's trucks got to get across real ground. You cannot beat the physics. And the, and the same thing is true about disinformation campaigns. If people would just practice a minor level of information hygiene, check yourself before you wreck yourself when you're reading something and, and weigh it against your own sense of, of reality and, and, complexity that you know exists in the world and go, am I getting a full picture even here? That will help you immensely. And if I can add, and if I can add also as, as, as somebody who worked in media for a very long time, ostensibly still does. um, If you get an initial, very strong emotional, like a visceral response to the headline or to the first paragraph, get another source, find another source and check it against whatever, because the, the way the, the most, the hook, that gets you involved is to get you really upset about something is to elicit a strong emotional response. That's how they yeah. get you. So well, that's, you a, that's that a, initial response. Yeah, exactly. That's it's like the, the, that's what I was saying about the, um, like the yellow jacket thing. You take a, a genuine issue and uh, the Israel, uh, Palestinian conflict is a great example. Perfect you take example. something that was, that was almost, you know, there, there was, for whatever people believe about Netanyahu buying the peace or funding Hamas and all that nonsense, the reality was that they were effectively buying the peace and they were allowing more Palestinians to have day passes and work passes and stuff, and they were opening this up. They were starting the arduous process 
amongst, by the way, continued bombing from from Gaza into Israel, stopped by the Iron Dome, but still missiles, you know, rockets fired in. They were trying these steps to try and mitigate this before up to October 7th. The idea is that Russia's entire game, in many ways, China's game, and they do it more in Africa than they do it anywhere else, is to take civil unrest, civil war potential in any country and tip it towards violence through these, you know, through message control and, and through pushing, you know, the extremes of any group to, you know, to violence. And it's worked in several countries. Anytime you're seeing riots and stuff, you can see sort of the kind of the hand of this at work passively or actively. Um, and, and Iran knows it too. That's why Iran blames the U.S. whenever, uh, something happens in their country because they think we give these people hope and if with hope they'll fight. There's a difference between what the Russians do, which is just create enemies on both sides. We don't care about either side. We'll we'll chin up the message. Also, both. But to also quickly circle back to that earlier question about you know uh, Israel maybe giving something to Ukraine in, in mm-hmm. the form of you know a new patriot system or an Iron Dome stuff. That may be because we are seeing a solidification between the relationship between Hamas and the Kremlin. Not that it hasn't existed before, but it's been in the shadows. I think the Israelis yep. are starting to wake up to the, reg- the, the idea that Moscow uh, is, is, you know, on the side of Hamas. And so they may go, OK, you can support Hamas. Mm-hmm. We might do a few things for the Ukrainians, which as somebody who lives on Ukrainian soil, I'm here for. Right. Um, let's. We got two minutes left, so let's grab one more question if we yeah, can. So we, you know, so I, yeah, Johnny, what we got? Thing. I've got one from Salt and Greece. Does Phil have any comments about the Navalny stories or any comments? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's good to see 10,000 people. That's the estimate I saw. I mean, you saw the intimidation by the regime. They had having to march past guys with batons and battle, you know, battle rattle, yeah. uh, clear intimidation. I was not a fan of Navalny. I am concerned now, however, about other dissidents who are held not only in, right. uh, in, um, in Russia, like, uh, Karamuza, Karamuza, uh, who is actually a Democrat. He actually wants to see democracy brought to Russia or for that matter, Mikhail Saakashvili in, in Georgia, which is a puppet of Moscow, or in Belarus, they're starting to kill dissidents at an increased rate. And I don't know if that is uh, a you know, big middle finger up to the West or what, but I'm deeply concerned that we're going to see a lot more dissidents dying, uh, Namalny having just been the start. Um, and 10,000 is great to see, but I was out on Bolotnaya Square in 2012, 2011, uh, where they had 30 to 60. They, they mm-hmm. need a lot more people on the streets. Uh, although those 10,000, I, I give them a dangerous thing. They to have do to right be now. more brave today than they did back then uh, because yeah, of the nature of the circumstances as well. Agreed. Um, Agreed. I, I appreciate you being here. Everybody check out Philip Inner's YouTube page. Follow Johnny Million on It's Johnny Million at, uh, on Twitch and YouTube. Uh, infotainmentwars.com is my channel, and uh, please subscribe. Today we're trying to get 100K. And also I think the thing to watch – Javier Millet, the weirdo Argentinian president who the right seems to love, the right wing in this in the United States, is putting together a South, a South American, uh, I guess, uh, community, a support summit for Ukraine this year. Yep. Great. Watch Great for news. that talking point to work its way awkwardly through the right wing in the United States. Yeah. We'll be back Call next Speaker week. Johnson. Yeah. Call Speaker Call Johnson. Johnson. Call your elected officials. That's right. Thanks, Thanks so much. Thanks, Phil.